Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Um, about eight years ago, today's guest realized that if you're walking around with a phone and you don't have a way to charge it, you're, it, it's, you just feel vulnerable. You feel like you can't connect with family. What if there's an emergency? What if you want to get some work done? And he had this idea that just to tell you about it doesn't do it justice. Noah, everything that you create, does, I can't describe it. People have to see it because you have a certain aesthetic that's just beautiful. Why'd your eyebrow do that? Like, you don't believe me when I'm saying this. You you absolutely have an aesthetic that is gorgeous, don't you think? I yeah. Well, I I I got to give a lot of the the um, aesthetic looks, especially in these recent years as we've really matured. I've got to give some kudos over to Brian, my co-founder, and the the the, the product team who's taken some of these uh, concepts and and all the new concepts that we've developed as a team and made them look so amazing. We look at our products sometimes in our, or even our website of today. And then I'll look at some of our products from five or six years ago, which I, I love. And they, those were the building blocks where we got started and, and took off. And it's just funny to look at our design as it's evolved. And you see our early stuff and we laugh um, because we would, we would just be like, yeah, that's good. Let's go. Let's get to production. It was all about getting to production. And I remember in the very early days of the company. So we, we build these you know, sm smartphone uh, accessories, tools for the modern nomad, we say. Your, your traditional nomad has a, a bow and arrow you know, and your, or a sword. And your modern nomad has, has an iPhone. The iPhone is the, the sword, if you will, of the 21st century. And mm -hmm. we aim to, to keep you charged and keep it protected. So we see it as, as something that's a tool for this, these, these modern lives that we lead. Now, it, tools can be used incorrectly. I wouldn't suggest that someone, uh, you know, use, you know. Well, let, let me take a moment and just tell people what you did before yeah. we continue with this. What you did was you, you said, people don't want to carry these giant cords with them. What if I could just create this little card that yeah. flipped the bottom flips out. And so you could connect it into a USB charger and then the other side connects into your phone back when, speaking of ugly, the iPhone had these ugly, big, giant connectors and you made it look nice. And anyone who wanted to could uh, could use it to charge up their device. It was called Charge Card, right? Yeah, Charge killed Card. It. You killed Never. it with that. You sold it. You grew. And then you added this whole collection of tools, as you said, for nomads, for people who are out in the world working. And so that includes things that, frankly, Apple makes. But I think in many ways, you make it look better and make it more functional. So, for example, Apple has a case for the iPad, obviously, right? But yours has a back protector on it. Yours has a way for the pencil to be protected if it's attached using the magnet. Apple has all these uh, um, wristbands for watches. Yours actually costs more than theirs. Yeah, there it is. You're wearing one. But it it's a little bit more, I don't, I don't know. It's a little more of your aesthetic. It's a little more beautiful, I was going to say. What are you going to say? Yeah, no, we, uh, I just, I think that we genuinely put so much passion and heart and soul and argument um, and we have had arguments over the funniest little details on the little, the lug or the clasp or the this or the slightest variation yeah. of color. We dig deep into what we do. And um, I think that uh, it's something that from the very beginning days of, of the company, I remember one of the first 
arguments that that we ever had. I, I say argument in a in a well well meaning way. Uh, with with Brian, my co-founder, we were in Hong Kong and we were talking about our second product because in some ways, in consumer products at least perhaps, but the second product is is as vital and critical and important as the first one. The first one gets you started, but the second one is where you go from, is this a one hit wonder or mm -hmm. do we have something bigger than that here? Because if you can do a second, maybe you can do a third, maybe there's a whole lot more there than just this one-off you know, charge card project. And so that second product, what it was is a, a USB cable, the size and shape of a key, kind of a logical successor. Um, it, when you look backwards, there's a lot of logical successors to the story but when you're on those front lines and looking at a you know a lot of fogginess of what to do next it's not it's not as clear but when that one emerged as our as our next product we had all of our energy and focus on that and i remember the big question was whether or not you could take it off your keychain and um it we would it's funny because sometimes one of us would take one side of the argument and then we'd wake up in the morning and be like no i totally disagree it's the other way and i was pushing we should have it detachable so you can pop it on and off your keychain it's really annoying to take them on and brian was saying no we've got to keep it on that way you just know that it's there and these are like funny little decisions you see in a product and we all use products in our lives and it's fun to think that behind the scenes of the products that we use there's these arguments and decisions and and discussions you know late night at a bar in hong kong and and i totally flipped on it. i was like no you're absolutely right if it's truly the tool for the modern nomad it's with them when they need it, out of their does way. It, does it ever bother you that you can spend all this time arguing and then someone can just knock you off, get 90% of the way there, not have anyone know the difference and maybe even outsell you? It used to. Um, when we used to see knockoffs, it was like there's you get mm -hmm. this visceral feeling that you've been copied and you've been cheated and need to chase them down and find out who they are. And there was a time where we built a stand for the Apple Watch. It's really elegant uh, stand for charging the Apple Watch. It was a very early product for Apple Watch at a time where it was just launching. And it did incredibly well. All of a sudden, when the knockoff started hitting Amazon, Mm -hmm. It directly hit our bottom line immediately. Our sales for that product dropped 70 or 80%. And um, I was so annoyed. I actually, um, I emailed in to, uh, to Jeff Bezos, Jeff uh -huh. at Amazon.com, which, mm -hmm. you know, and I have this email tracking thing so I can see where an email is opened. And I was so annoyed because this was costing us. It wasn't just a matter of pride. It was like, we, we got a good one here and we need this. And, you know, because it's the revenue that we use to reinvest in the team and other products. And I was so pissed off and I emailed like legal at nomadgoods.com, which wasn't even a thing just to make it see. I think I can't, I may have even included like some law firm that, in Seattle that we don't even work with, but just to let them know that we're mad and we're going to speak up about it. And sure enough, I see uh, there were all these knockoffs and I see the email and I see that it's open in this weird part of like Texas. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I see in the news that Jeff Bezos is in Texas for a Blue Origin rocket launch. Next day, all these listings are gone. And it's like, we've re-won the space. And I'm thinking, holy shit, wow. uh, we actually got through. 
And sure enough, it's whack-a-mole a week later. Um, even when you get Mr. Jeff Bezos or his assistant or whoever might be to come in yeah. and take care of business, it's whack-a-mole and they're all back and we're back at it. And we realized, realized over time, you know, if you're chasing that fight, it's good to be thoughtful and proactive there, but not to burn too much of your time or energy because it is a bottomless pit of, of whack-a-mole copycats. And you, and I, I do love these words of Elon Musk. You, you can't drive forward looking in the rear view mirror. So you, then you, I wonder I, what the solution is. How do you build a business when anyone can knock you off? But before you say that, let me introduce you. This is Noah Denzel. He is the founder of Nomad. What they do is create these beautiful products for for your technic for the technical products in your life. So uh, maybe a leather case for your Apple AirPods, right? That's the type of thing that you create. And I should say this interview is sponsored by two companies. The first, if you're paying people, you need to know about Gusto. I want you to go to gusto.com slash Mixergy. And the second, if you're fired up about this, you want to start your own company, you need a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. No, then what what do you do? How do you build a business when anyone can just knock off your stuff? Yeah. Uh uh, nod to Gusto. We've used them before, and they and and they and they were great. Um, so the 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 knockoffs are you got to be bigger than those. At the end of the day, we are like I was saying. You can't you know can't drive forward looking in the rearview mirror. Like you could you could spend all your time and energy chasing the knockoff world. But ultimately, what people really people value and care about the company in the pro that it, that is at the bleeding edge that is cutting forward, that is doing it. We're not going to be able to win all the customers. There's but going you to be think that, that your customers care about you, care about your brand. They connect with Nomad. I think that the, I think that over time we've, we've absolutely built a solid and growing collection of, of customers who, who do care. They see us over time. They see, um, how, where do they see you? Well, you know, they, they, they've, they've maybe been a customer, so they, they could have seen us online, uh, come across our, our website through, uh, well, you know, we, we do, we, we do a lot of all the various types of marketing that any, that any company tends to do these days. What's the one that makes them feel more connected to you? The one that makes that creates a brand that they identify with and are more drawn to, and they could trust that if they buy something from you, that your logo won't be plastered all over. It'll be tasteful even to that degree. I do think that the most powerful marketing we ever do is launching a new product. And then we get the word out, of course, on maybe, maybe on emailing all our people, maybe doing a Facebook advertising campaign, or maybe doing some press press stuff or whatever. Uh, but what we're pulling from is the real DNA of what we do, which is trying to come up with cool, interesting stuff that's well-built and useful and, and something that people, our phones are so connected into our lives. We're using them all the time. We're touching them. We're putting them hands and face and pockets, yeah. this and that. So if we can build products that are really quality, this is something that people are going to have effectively a very intimate relation with their phone case, even if they don't think they care about their phone case at all. It's one of the top items that, that people have, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sad story, but when you look at, uh, when you look at political refugees and people who are seer, uh, who are fleeing war-torn countries, um, they will often have a phone before they'll even have mm. food and water. So that's how important phones have become in, in our lives. And so when we are, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're building kind of 
you know, more these kind of pre- premium cases and charges and cables, but 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 nonetheless, when you look at at the human level of of needs and in in what in what these phones enable, they're really important things in our lives. Let me, so, let me ask you this: your 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 family were hippies. You told our producer you come from five generations of carousel makers. Did your dad take the same kind of pride in his creation that you do? Or was it more like, yeah, we've been doing this for five generations. People don't notice. Let's just build. Um, he, the, the carousel thing had really dropped off. Um, and by my grandfather's generation, he actually didn't even know about it because they, they hid it from him. They didn't want to be associated with it. They, they didn't want your dad to even know that they come from carousel makers. Uh, the so so for my grandfather and his family they they didn't talk about it and it was my grandmother who married him who got a phone call one day about hey like cousin Herman has this carousel and do you guys want it? this this miniature carousel we got to put these pieces and do you guys want this and she's thinking wait a second all the this whole carousel thing fell together and it was in my grandfather's later years that he began reviving that tradition. And my father then, of you know, t- took it on and actually did it himself in a much more kind of sort of artistic kind of kind of lower key kind of whole, fully self-made. I mean, he'd be doing the welding, he'd be doing the whole thing, and more community-based focus. And he absolutely took a tremendous amount of kind of energy and focus because he he was. He was doing the whole the whole thing himself, and I do think that seeing seeing that kind of stuff, just creating something out of nothing where there's no rules of how to even do it, as much as I wanted nothing to do with that whatsoever at all, I wanted the opposite of that. You know, I think as we grow up in life, we we hate our parents, and then at some point, maybe often when you're in your 20s or 30s, you start to be like, wait. You know, they were, they were actually all right. I actually learned a lot. You think that this thing that you thought was not cool, him playing the accordion, making carousels, the fact that he took pride in the details, like welding in a certain way, made it somehow impregnated itself in your mind and you have to do things right too? I think, you know, he, 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 what, what, what I learned from him and see from him is since he's doing things that other people aren't even really doing, you know, building these weird carousel mechanisms. There was so much unknown and uncharting all the time that it really normalized the idea of do whatever, do, do whatever, be whatever, mm. be whatever. Like there's, there's not just some specific path out there. And I do think that when you're building something and you're doing something new, um, uh, that there's, while there's many learnings to be had from other stories and journeys that people have been on, that's really helpful information, but you're still going on your journey. And I heard a, a quote the other day that is like, so, uh, so I can't remember. It was something like, so if, if you, if you've seen, there's an expression, if you've seen a company, you've seen one company. And the point, the point of it, yeah was that of course there are commonalities i do believe in a lot of the the over time a lot of the advice i've seen has held true across many companies but at the same time these companies and their journeys and how they're going about it when they're starting from zero you know in the in grandma's basement you know when you're starting from zero there is not a rule book of what you're supposed to do and you know sometimes i'll say when we're we're this is not a book that we're reading where we flip to the next page and see what to do it's a book where we're writing and we flip the next page and we're like 
what are we going to put here? How are we going to get through this? So having a, a an upbringing that had a too, mm-hmm. almost too much openness, like not too much, but like, like just so much openness to do whatever, be whoever, just go after it, but you, you're going to have to make it happen. You know, um, like uh, that definitely, I think, engenders some of those qualities that I think can be help help an entrepreneur sort of fill that white space in their journey. Did you go to Spain to get away from your family, which at the time you thought was a little bit different, or did you go there for a different reason? You were still in school. Why'd you go? Yeah, I was, I was, um, I was very lucky when I was, when I was a kid, I wanted to go to a good college. That was my ticket out of, of, of this, 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 this funky hippie carousel situation. I was a very good student and um, I, I came down to, I was, I was, we were living in a small town in the Pacific Northwest and we'd always come down to California and even move down here a couple of times and try to make it here for a year. And then we'd, we'd be driving back up with our van, pulling a carousel, the dog and the cat, and the three kids in there. And it was like, we wanted out of this thing. And who's we? We, I, my, my siblings and myself. Your siblings. But by the way, your the Denzel Carousel Company is fair. It's pretty famous, right? That's the family that you're from. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 known in the niche carousel world. Um, there was one put in Disneyland is, in in 1922. Yep, the right? one in yeah. Disneyland is a Denzel Denzel frame, and I believe it has some Denzel animals. The zoo in San Francisco is actually a, a Denzel Denzel carousel. The one that we see just as we walk right through, we walk through the gate, and then on the left, there's this carousel that all the kids want to go on. That is created by your family. That would have been like my great, great grandfather or something like that. Um, These are all over the country, Knott's Berry Farm. So, okay, but but I get what you're thing, saying. The whole carousel thing fell into disrepair in the, in the 20s because carousels used to be the thing to do for entertainment. And then there started to be television and other stuff. So that whole thing just like kind of... I get it. I, I get it. And so, and it's true that as I'm looking at these, we're looking at, um, I'm looking at uh, carousels that were made in 1905 and 1921 is the one in the San Francisco Zoo, not very far in 1912. I get it. Your dad rediscovered it. This whole thing that was this famous part of his background that he is getting re-engaged in and loves you and your siblings say, I got to get out of this. This is not a cool thing to be in. You go to Spain, you well, so- look, uh-huh. I want to bring it back to Nomad. Uh-huh. No, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do a super quick version of it. I, my, 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 so when I went into college, my brother, Zarin, who's been a, who's the, you know, big positive influence on, on the, the company and the, in particular in the earlier days, he started a social network in Spain with an old friend of his, kind of like a Facebook of Spain and, type of thing. And, um, at the time that I had started college. So the, by the time I'm graduating from college and I'm looking at all these interesting opportunities, I finally get to go out in the world and do my thing. I'm thinking, well, this is the recession. It's 2010. It's a tough time. And I've got this brother at this interesting company in Spain. And I'm thinking, man, the last thing I want to do right now is go work at my older brother's thing. But and a good friend of mine told me, look, Noah, get over there, get the experience. You're going to regret it if you don't. And you, because it was a whole unique, weird thing. So I, I sucked it up. I went over there. I made it very uh, 
I made very clear and sure to be working disconnected from him. So working under a, a different team and team member from that, mm-hmm. just to, to make sure that, you know, that of course there's a, you know, I didn't want to have two weeks. Of course, it's going to be a unique experience regardless. Cause, cause you know, I get this, this younger brother coming over, but in doing, in doing that and being over there for a year and a half, um, I was able to have a really good experience in seeing, seeing a company being a, a fly on the wall and and watching this business get built from the seed level, see that it's possible to create something. And then if I understand it right, you also, since you were in Spain said, a lot of these people are having their batteries run out. Spain, just like when I lived in Argentina, the time difference for dinners is weird. What time would people have dinner in Spain? It was that, it's kind of funny, but that key point is a big formative part of charge card. It was so late. People would sit down. It was not uncommon to sit down at midnight at 11 PM at a restaurant at 1130. So we would be out and about, and we'd always be talking about ideas and products yeah. and concepts and just these great conversations. And we all had blackberries and our batteries would always die. So I would always bring an extra blackberry battery because we'd all be on our phones and BBM and there's anything that was ever as more, even more addictive than the iPhone. It was the Blackberry. And I remember one time, one of the sort of executives at the company, we were all, we were all like in our twenties, but nonetheless, he, uh, he just said, he said he'd pay 50 euros right now if anyone had a full battery. And I gave him my spare battery. <laughs> and of course I ran into a hotel and ha- charged the BlackBerry there because I still needed to charge my phone because it was that critical. Yeah, and it was these experiences of realizing how important phones have become in this modern age. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you look at the age of 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 a writing, the the, the the pen and paper had an incredible important value at, at a time, mm-hmm. and now the the phone had become that. So so it was realizing just how important this was, and I began looking well. Simultaneous to all this, I had some immigration issues. So I was, uh, I was overstaying your visa in Spain. I I had an interdiction of entry and I was, uh, it had a whole thing where computer screens showed up four different languages. It looked like something out of a Jason Bourne thing. And it's like, Noah Denzel, is this you? And Noah Denzel is not a very common name for all he knows. It's, 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 you know, a common name. And uh, yeah, that's me. And it says you're not supposed to be here. And so fortunately, the police officer um, drove me past the detention center, dropped me off at a subway, told me to get out of the car and told me to get to that I need to sort this out or get a lawyer. And uh, so I was so grateful to him. But I knew that when I got back to the office, because I was just going out to do some paperwork, and I came back with this whole thing. And it was one of the best things that could have happened to me because um, you know, it, it accelerated me to move forward in, in my own path and to start your own business. And by the way, just to be clear, the reason that their batteries kept running out faster there is because they were out all day till midnight and then the phone can't last that long. You come back to the U S because you can't stay there in this good life that you've got with your brother. And you say, you know what? I can't stop thinking about this cable thing. Why isn't there a solution? Nobody's created it. You go to Alibaba. What do you find? What do you do? It, no, exactly. I had been mulling this idea around for a while. So fortunately, when the immigration thing happened, I had already had a few ideas going, but it forced me to new, move forward on those. Yep. And I'm looking on Alibaba and I'm just, it's one of those things where you, 
don't see the thing that you need. I'm thinking, how does this not exist? Just a little cable, just something to carry with you, a jumper cable for your phone, you know? And um, I, at this time, was also really into the crowd. I used to do couch surfing. You know, I would, I would, I had traveled and couch surfed and I thought it was so cool. You know, you get to stay somewhere for free with cool Mm -hmm. people and get this insider experience. And so I was very open to the idea of the crowd. And I I saw this uh, and I read the tech news all the time. And I saw this beautiful clock that this designer, his name Scott Thrift designed this beautiful clock and it went around, did one rotation in a year. And the idea was to reimagine time. And I saw this beautiful project on Kickstarter and the whole thing just was sort of like, okay, I love the crowd. Kickstarter is amazing. You know, where was Kickstarter the past thousand years? And for that matter, Indiegogo as well. They're, they're mm-hmm. a really great company we've worked with too. And so is this, this coming together of the crowd is cool. You don't need just these big fancy angel investors or whatever they may be. Maybe you don't have access to that. Like, like most people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this real problem that I'm feeling and I keep on telling everybody and they all seem to be feeling it too. And like, let's go. So I got back into the U S I was living at my grandma's house and, um, I had this, this serendipitous thing where, um, I was trying to find people to work with. This is, this is not the case of the the sort of uh of the one well i guess this is a more a more standard classic case companies are teams of people that build things together and and as much as i was coming in strong and i was evangelizing charge card i had a name for it i knew how we were going to do it It it's like i had this treasure map i just i needed some help getting there and the treasure map by the way was very blurry and unclear but somewhere on that was charge card was was the destiny so i was very serendipitously linked up with, with, with Brian, who became my co-founder, who had all this energy as well. These, these two young guys uncommitted, no houses or mortgages or children. And mm-hmm. that's, sort of and we were both at a stage in our life where we were just looking to go all in on something. And we like, we just kind of went all, it was like all of a sudden, we didn't even know what we had signed up for. We were in on this. And I think it was a, several years later until we even were able to digest how deeply we had just fully, because what happened with Kickstarter is we pre-sold all these items. So we pre-sold 8,000 items. So then we had to make them. So we had this cart in front of the horse. And we had that cart in front of the horse for about two years before we ever even caught up with it to be like, fully caught up with all shipments, not back orders. Did, did you know how you were even going to make it? You know, as, as much as we felt confident and honestly presented the genuine confidence that we felt in our ability to make this product, we, we didn't know. We thought we knew. And once, now that we know everything about, man, or, or a lot about manufacturing, we really realized later on how little we knew. What about this? So in this video, I'm look at look at this younger you in the video. Yeah, You're pretty much the same. But you're holding on to to the device. How did you make it for the Kickstarter campaign? Who made it? So it was a uh, you know in the in the earlier days of Kickstarter, they were even a little looser. Thankfully for us, on um, the the level that of 
the the stage in the project you had to be how far you had to be along um, to go live. We had we had fully functional prototypes, but something to understand is a prototype to manufacturing is something like a concept car to production. But who who manufactured the prototype? We who? we you know we the the full the 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 first functional ones were us futzing around and, and the the other guy you see in the video there's adam who was who is the early kind of third partner who kind of didn't didn't quite know that he what he was signing up to that that we were just going to keep on going and going and going and going and going and he was more around for the project in the earlier days okay he, he actually made some of those those uh these are handmade some of them are handmade and we, ah. we, we got 3d printers. We, we came across this incredible 3d printer and it did dual materials. So we were able to 3d print a charge card that looked just like a charge card and it had a bendable tongue to it. Just yeah. like what we're trying to make. So we had really good looking ones that didn't work. That were 3d prints. We had really ugly ones that looked like flesh. Cause they were like this, this at home little science. Yeah. Project. And we took those together. We were talking with the manufacturer and in our minds, it was all like, it can't be that hard. It's just a gadget. And what, what, so that was a shortcoming of our short sightedness of it, but it was having the confidence to then go camp out at the factory. We were originally manufacturing in California. We went, and though we didn't know a lot, we went to school and we did our homework. We camped out at that place. We would go, all the place the in California, or the place in China, the place in California. So the place, you found a place in California that can make it. You went yep. and camped out and you like every day, just sitting and sitting and sitting. And we who made the video? The different machines, the ultrasonic welding. We'd all these things that we still do today. We just had a conversation in our uh -huh. Slack channel earlier about ultrasonic welding on a new product. And I remember when we were looking at these ultrasonic welders and going, Whoa, you can weld plastic together with these sound vibrations because we were so green on everything. Why did they put up with you doing this? You just had, so by the way, the Kickstarter campaign was a real winner, $161,000 and $161,897. So decent, but it's not enough for a factory to go, let's stop everything and teach Noah how a, a sonic welder works. I think because we were there physically showing up and in, in the U.S. a lot of times you see the manufacturer like medical and military. They're not making these consumer tech gadgets, which tend to be made in China. And so they're thinking these guys are literally showing up and they're here and we'd have these meetings and we were the, the, the youngest people there and we knew the least. Um, and I think for them, it was probably it was probably kind of interesting. Like, whoa, we have these two really interesting interested people who are showing right. up and calling all these shots and making this project. And they, I think the fact that we showed up sometimes when you just show up and you're there, they have to, they'll go, you know what, you're here, let's do it. And right. they took us on and I couldn't believe it because we were, we were tiny and we were going to make 8,000 units in our, in our mind, all these numbers were really big, 8,000 units, 5,000 units. And we had several different colors, big mistake because then it was really smaller productions of different ones that all had their own issues. And they're thinking like, they're probably thinking guys, like it's, I don't even know if we should be wasting our time talking with you for some reason they took it on. And that allowed us to learn so much to then source one or 
or have we then had one component made in China and we were skeptical of China. And when we had this one component made in China, we were like, wait a second, we're going to China. We're going to make the whole thing there. Um, and we didn't have familiarity with China. We had never been there before, but part of our sort of, you know, like I said, when we were linking up in the early days, we were going on a mission and we were going to do whatever we had to do. So, you know, we, we, we went over to, to China, totally green. We showed up in the wrong part of the city that was like two hours away because the naming is also confusing. But sometimes when you're making progress, it's the worst time you ever do it because the first time is when you know the least. So when we landed in China, we didn't even land in the right place. And then we would, you know, we were skeptical. We wouldn't want to take rides from them because we didn't want to be corrupted to work with the wrong factory. So we'd take the subway all the way out to the end of the line and then walk to this little factory area. But because we did those things, we were so interconnected with the, with the people. And we were working with sub sub suppliers. A lot of times, you know, uh, foreigners will come in and they'll work with like an agent who, who oversees all that. And we went straight into like the sub sub supplier, but it's that story of business where you can make things a win-win for us. We found someone that could do this for us. And for them, they had the opportunity to level up from just a basic USB component supplier to making a whole charge card, a consumer end product. And so by going in so deep, we were able to just constantly string this thing together and kind of um, fill in these gaps. When we had big gaps of experience, the way that we overcame that was by going right to our gap, by showing up to the area we don't know about, by getting our hands dirty and by and and that's you know that's i think that's that's still what we do today and it's sometimes when i think of you know our own path ahead it's what i've realized it's probably something we need to continue to do more of because when you're new to this all you're such a beginner there's so much green you're so green and there's all this the stuff you have to learn and then you learn a little bit you learn a lot and you can almost get a little jaded thinking you know a lot but we got to take it back and remember there's so much that we don't know. And if we take that same entrepreneurial energy and push it into that, that's how we're going to survive. That's how we're going to thrive. Because now that we know, know a thing or two, it's almost easier to become a little bit more conservative. But we're not here because we were conservative. We were here because we were doing things that we were wildly unqualified for to begin with. Let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor, Gusto. 2021 is the year that everyone who's listening to us is going to switch to the right payroll program, which is Gusto. You've, you have experience with Gusto. What do you like about Gusto? Why should somebody listening to us switch over to them? So I, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, what are called HRIS, Human Resource Information Systems. Okay. And when you have to do all these paperwork things, and all these documents, and pull these things up and calculate the taxes and withholdings, all these different things. It's HR can be one of the things that really constricts you from moving forward on your business and doing the things that you want to be focusing on. But it's incredibly important because the people are important. HR is one of the most important things, yet one of the biggest frustrating headache things. So, so Gusto, which is a service we, we've, we've used, we, we switched to a different provider and to, to get as part of this healthcare program thing we're trying I'm to do. ruin my ad. Actually, when did you switch over? I want you to be open. No, we when... switched to just to where, um, but it, wait, 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 what, uh, we just it lost just the connection. Works. It'll... 
Go ahead. It allows you to band up with other smaller companies. So when, as a, when you're your own company doing your own thing, just uh, Gusto is amazing because it's an incredible, it's an incredible HR suite. When we needed to get uh, band up with other companies to kind of get a lower healthcare premium, we joined what's called a PEO, which is a totally different thing. And we switched to them. And actually, um, PEO systems can have a little bit of shortcomings compared to something like Gusto. But What's you get that? of uh, some of their negotiated rates on healthcare and stuff. So that's that's how our journey went from Gusto to just. So what what did you like about Gusto? Oh, just it it, it absolutely simplifies and in every all the aspects of of HR payroll. And I'm sure their 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 service has grown. But those are things that are huge huge headaches and um, huge headaches. And then people who are on Gusto say that within 10 minutes, they could do their payroll and just move on. Gusto has HR professionals who are there who can help anyone who's listening to us with any problem that they have. And then also speaking of benefits, I don't know if they had this when you joined, they now have the ability to give you uh, help with your benefits. We're talking about, um, here we go. Finally, every employee benefit for every business, it takes more than a paycheck to build an amazing team with Gusto. You can offer affordable healthcare and financial benefits to support your team into the future. I'm reading it right off their website. They will do that. It is quick. It's elegant. It's beautiful. It's it's something that will t- help you take care of your people without sucking up a bunch of your time. If you're ready to switch or considering switching to a better payroll system today, I want you to go to gusto.com slash Mixergy. I'm going to give you three months for free. And you're going to get to see why so many people who I've interviewed love Gusto. I don't want, uh, you know what? Let's be open with people. No, what's the company that you switched over to? I want them to have like full analog. I can totally vouch for Gusto. We, we use them happily. And, and I, uh, yeah, and give, I, give the other, give the other company too. Let's let them, let's let them consider it. it. So we're, we're, we have just works, which is a PEO, which the reason we shifted to that was purely for the sake of getting these, uh, it's, it's several companies, a bunch of companies come together and then you're actually, your payroll is kind of done by them. So when someone gets a payment, it's actually like they're paid by just works. It's almost like all these little companies then are technically all these employees are employees of one larger company. Yeah. It just allows for negotiated things. So for a lot of people, I'd recommend not doing that because it comes with its own challenges. But if you're looking for a, an, if you're looking for a internal solution that's your own gusto is absolutely amazing if you're looking to band up to a, a, a larger ship to get maybe for a specific purpose of getting uh, uh pay uh, getting healthcare benefits or something like that just works is has, has has been great and, and you know i there's a lot i love great softwares and i and i can i can love two that are in a similar space and if they're making our lives easier so i can i can vouch for for both of them and, and i'm and i'm saying that uh I can't say that about all the softwares that we have used. So, uh, so I was just logging into Gusto a week or two ago to get some old documents that I needed for some HR stuff. And sure enough, I was able to log in. It was really easy. It was all there. And I was like, oh my gosh, because when you're chasing down old tax documents and payrolls, it is just the number one way to, to put a little too much, you know, hay on the camel's back of. I had that problem. Well, I had that problem too. There was, I actually underpaid my taxes last year. I made a stupid mistake where I forgot to include one document. IRS sent me a letter with a bill. I look at it and go, actually, they're 100% right. 
I start chasing down this freaking document. I can't find it anywhere. And I scan everything into my computer. I scan everything into, well, into my phone. And then it goes into all my, my devices. Couldn't freaking find it. I was going nuts with it. And then I asked my wife and she was agonizing over it. She then finally said, you know what? Let me just go over to whoever handles HR at my company. She asked them within five minutes on Slack, she got this document that was plaguing me because if it's, if it's there, if you're dealing with a good company, the documents are right there. They're handled properly. And none of these things become issues. Anyway, I sent it over to my account and they said, just pay it. I paid it. Life was good. And I was able to move on. If I could go back in time to the very beginning of the company, I would hop on Gusto immediately because it is such a headache to be doing all the stuff manually and you don't even know. And it's complex and complicated. And I don't want to make a mistake that hurts someone's forget about hurting them, hurting their family. I I don't want any of it. Listen, guys, if you're listening to me, I'm going to close out the gusto ad by saying, consider every possibility that you want. Go do your research online. Look at everything. Consider uh, gusto.com slash mixergy. Just go over G J gusto.com slash Mixergy. I think you're going to be very happy with them. And frankly, if you're not, email me, andrew at Mixergy.com. I stand by all my sponsors. I tell my guests, you can be you can be open about all my sponsors because I want to have the best relationship with my audience possible. The best way to know that people get to know me is when they sign up to something I recommend. That's when they know, is Andrew full of it? Can I trust him or not? Because now they're living with something I recommend and I want them to enjoy that life and I want them to have good results with it. So I believe, I know gusto.com slash Mixergy will do right by you. Go check them out and let me know either way. All right. Well, I'm glad that it's, I'm glad that your, your, your ad is for a service that I, that I appreciate. Me too. All right, let's continue now. One of the things I want to quickly just ask you about the fact that um, when I looked on Kickstarter, one of the things that you had going for you was a ton of press. How did you get all this press? CNN, TechCrunch, um, MSNBC, PC World. How did you get all these people? It was Cult of Mac. So something that uh, in the early days of, kicks, uh, of, of this whole journey, I, I w- reached out to a few different people who had projects. And one of the guys got back to me and he had had a, a USB cable, totally different thing. But he was telling me, you know, I, and, you know, I was asking all these questions and, and, and I've always been someone who reaches out and will email in and ask questions and because there's so much to learn when you're doing the unknown and you don't know what you're doing. And he, and he was telling me about this, how, this, this website where it showed all these top press and how it's so critical to, to do that. And I was, it just really stuck with me. Like it's, yes, we, we have to get, the first thing we do when we're launching this project is we got to get a bunch of press. So we would spend in the beginning times of this all, we would spend while we were waiting all this manufacturing, it was always delayed and we were waiting. So we would spend all our time getting press and we would be, we would be reaching out and emailing out and, you know, in the, uh, in the early, like, you know, I, I remember I had emailed with this guy, uh, David Carnoy from CNET, and I saw that he had covered a Kickstarter project before. So I reached out to him. I sent four emails, just trying to guess his email. And three of them came back as, you know, delivery, not sent receipt thing. And then one of them came back and it was him. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like, we got, we got one on the line and oh, no, what's charge card? Well, what's so special? Why is it this? And why is it that? And, um, you know, we would be driving, driving car and stop the car. And then it's like, okay, just have a meeting right there in the car and be talking through this. What is the response to David Carnoy? And then, and then he wrote back, okay, cool. 
um, yeah, I'll publish the, I'll publish you guys. And we're thinking, oh my God, we just got a CNET exclusive and you got to, we're kind of like operating out of my grandma's house. Like we're not, we're not like, you know, it feels a little bit like we're like a little sketchy in, in, a, in a way, our, our little, little operation we're trying to pull off here. And soon enough, sure enough, you know, it, he said he was going to cover us at, at 5 a.m. on the launch day because he was in New York. So we're awake at 5 a.m. sitting on the on the floor um, and uh, the article doesn't go up. 5.30, it's not up. And then 6 a.m., he writes back, oh, yeah, 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 sorry, I'll get that up. And we're just thinking, oh, my God, you know, you're just changing our lives here at that article. And 6 a.m., article goes live. At this time, too, I had contacted all my previous Spanish colleagues who are in Spain. So it's two in the two or three in the afternoon there. And they're just, you know, and I'm like, guys, you got to back us. So we try to start strong with getting all this backing so we can get that momentum. The CNET article hits and we are just going to town, contacting every writer we can. And, you know, the next day or two, we went like viral in the Netherlands. And I remember all of a sudden we had all these Dutch customers and there we are just reaching right back out, talking to the Dutch press and this and that. And we just, we just went all out. And I think we appreciated from the early days how, I mean, look, when you need to get the word out about something, the the power of press, I mean, when a press is doing a story on you, they're basically writing you a check because all these customers are going to come and they're writing you a check and you don't even owe them anything for it. So We've just, we've always valued press. We FedEx things. We do whatever it takes. We really give them our time because it's been, they've been so helpful in helping us get the word out. And it's even to this day, we, uh, we, um, yeah, we, it, it, it's, it's just something that I think we, we've appreciated. And, and uh, it's, we spent our last Kickstarter dollars on like a two or $3,000 FedEx uh, bill. And, it was crazy. I mean, it felt FedEx like bill absolutely to send nuts. charge we cards sitting there a few days later. Sorry, FedEx bill to send, charge, to send charge cards to the press so that they could see it in their hands and potentially write about yeah. it. Let me ask you yeah, this. Because the, so, theory, the theory was, look, FedEx, when a FedEx shows up, that gets to the top of the desk and they'll pick it up. And it, that works, doesn't it? Pretty nuts to spend 50 or $60 on the shipment. This was before we had, you know, negotiated discounts and stuff like that. Yeah. And we were, a couple of days later, we were in the New York Times blog blog post and that was so much wind in our sales you know not just the sales that came from that but the, the energy and the momentum and when you're in the early stages of something you don't really know what you're doing and all these things momentum is what you are running on is having some momentum just to, just to stay stay tuned in and involved to get other people involved and to so that that was a huge part of it yeah what's the hundred and fifty thousand dollars that you got from amazon How'd you get that early on? So the Kickstarter money come is paid through Amazon. Uh, ah, Amazon and it's given you all at once so, because they were using Amazon payments. So Got yeah, it. It was, you know, I had never, I had, I had never, you know, never, I had, I don't know if I had ever had a bank account with more than four figures in it. And now there were um, six and it was totally wild. It was this weird sort of like, thing that comes over to you like, wow, I just, I have $150,000 in the bank right now. Obviously we're going to put it all to work for charge card, but like, Oh, someone could almost abscond and go to an <laughs> office or something, you know? And, uh, that was, that really kicked things off. We had obligations to those people. We had 5,500 customers that we owed something to and that really 
gave us something to, to chase and to catch up to. And I think was a huge part of the, the kickstart. I mean, we were a kickstarter in, in every way, shape and form. We, we yeah. Let me, know. let me continue with the story. The next thing that you created after that was charge key. How did you know that, that, that you needed to create something that fit on people's keychain? Where did that idea come from? It was the same energy out of charge card, a, a USB cable to always have on you. So we'd think, okay, we want something that integrates into your lifestyle and you already have your wallet. So something that fits in your wallet is works. And we'd be thinking through the body, okay, your belt, your shoe, your this or that. But key came up just as the logical, obvious successor to the card because you always have your keys, keys, phone, wallet. Those are the three things you carry okay. with you. And that was a critical product because doing the second product is really where you become a company that's not just a one-hit wonder. You want to know something? I've been looking for the Indiegogo campaign on this. All I see are freaking knockoffs of it. It's all these different people who have variations of the word key and these chargers. I haven't. I still haven't found you on Indiegogo. Are you still on there? Well, the Indiegogo is more when we launched it uh, originally, and then we and then we carried it. Took it off, on, but on still, they keep older campaigns on their site. Doesn't come up. Yeah, All right. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we're on there. Um, I'm not doubting that you're on there. I'm just saying, look at how fast competition comes in and then they go follow your path. Here, here, yeah, I just pulled it up. It's, you know, we used to be more concerned and irked by the copycats, but in, in our world of consumer products, if you get caught up with the copycats, you, are, you are just staring at the ground when you need to be staring forward in looking at what's next, because at the end of the day, they can't copy where the ideas came from. So the way we're going to keep our edge is to just constantly be staying sharp and, and evolving and evolving our product line and doing cool new stuff. And that's what wins people over. And that's what wins people's, that's how you earn the, the trust uh, of customers and get them to come back is not through the one hit wonder, but through continuing to, to build great products that are hopefully, you know, making people's lives better and, and they enjoy using them and they keep them charged and, you know, help them out <laughs> in a pinch. All right. I'm with you on this. Right after that, you decided, all right, we're going to actually turn this thing into a business. We have our thing. Um, you then raise money on circle up. What was it? What's the circle up process for raising money? Circle up was, it was a little bit wild west they're an incredible company and they did a really good job with the whole process. But under Obama, there's this thing called the jobs act and they yep. had just opened the possibility for what's called a public solicitation. So it used to be when you raised money in Silicon Valley and so forth, you couldn't actually advertise that you're raising money, which was meant to, I guess, protect people from not, not getting involved in these high risk investments. But at the same time, it kept a lot of people out from being able to invest in early stage companies. So the Jobs Act allowed companies like ours to put publicly that they're raising money from people. You had to be an accredited investor, but nonetheless, it opened it up to a lot more people. And I thought it was just a really cool thing back to the you know, appreciation of the crowd and crowdfunding. It's that, but in more of a kind of an investor uh, context. And so that, you know, spoke, spoke to us as well, that this is right back to our crowdfunded DNA. We got started on the crowd with Kickstarter. We did Indiegogo and here we are back to a crowdfunded uh, fundraising round. And it was a little bit strange because there wasn't a lot of precedent at the time. There are a few companies that had done stuff like that, but it was really 
uncommon. And it was so funny because I remember telling um, Anya, who was working with us on press and marketing stuff, uh, and she was quite tuned into the whole Silicon Valley thing. She had had a little startup herself. And when we were kicking off the fundraising, I was like, Anya, we got to, you know, back, we got to get a bunch of press for this. We got to email everybody, FedEx and samples, you know, our playbook. Uh She's thinking with a smile on her face. She's like, Noah, um, sure. Typically companies wait until they close the round to go get all the press. And I was like, no, no, no. We need to advertise that we're raising money. And even in that, you know, at that era, the, the shift hadn't happened yet to this, this, this concept that, that. It, it is not something that just happens with investors behind closed doors, but there can be a more public component. And I'm, I'm a huge evangelist of that and of, of access to investments for people so they can take part in, you know, so, so you did do press to promote your, your campaign to raise money, right? You raised a million dollars. Mm-hmm. You were one of the few success stories on that platform. From what I understand, they went from being a platform where anyone can invest in startups to saying, it's too hard to get the average person to come in and invest. They won't get it. It's going to take too long for them to invest in one and then come back and invest in another. So the cycle is just too long. And they became like an, an equity investor now, right? Yeah. So they were pivoting their model and we saw them pivoting their model throughout our own journey with them. And I think, I think that, that what they were at the time that we worked with them, they did evolve further from that. And I'm not even fully up to speed on where they landed, but I know they ended up helping allocate a lot of institutional capital and stuff like that. Um, and yes, we, 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 uh, we were, uh, we sprouted or, or at that stage, we, we, we went, we, we went through with the circle up more crowdfunded model. And, you know, we, we still have those, uh, those investors. A million dollars in funding, right? It was, it ended um, up, getting oversubscribed and we had to do a last minute late night amendment to the thing. And boy, that was a whole learning curve in the middle of the night. And it was all timed because all last minute, because we were going on, I was going on TV the next day with the founder, uh, uh, co-founder of circle up to like do this little, this little short spot on CNBC highlighting some of the companies. And now we're oversubscribed. So we're going to go try to raise money publicly. And the round is full. So did, did this amendment in the middle of the night to 1.2 it was right. ended up being a little over 1.2. Okay. All right. Let me take a moment. I'm going to talk about my second sponsor and then I want to come back and find out about how at some point you were relying on Facebook ads and then something happened to those ads. I want to know what happened and how you dealt with it. But first, I'll tell everybody that Mixergy is hosted on uh, on WordPress, and our WordPress is hosted using HostGator. If you want a company that will host your website right, not charge you too much, and allow you to just go run your business without focusing on it, I urge you to go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. I started out with them using their cheap, they hate when I say cheap, it's inexpensive, it doesn't cost much, it just freaking works, hosting package hit a button, got WordPress on it. I think I waited like a minute or so for the whole thing to be installed. And then I was up and ready to go. But I just kept expanding and expanding and growing with their different platforms. I moved all of my domains over to them. And now if you go to Mixergy.com, you won't even notice that HostGator is who we host. The only thing that will tell you that we're hosted by HostGator is Michael, um, my brother who manages the site said, they're doing such a good job. Let's just get their logo on there. These guys are so good and they're charging us 
a third of what the other company was charging us before we were with them. So he put their logo on. Frankly, I think it's a little too big. At some point, we're going to have to make it smaller. It's bigger than the freaking Mixergy logo, but that gives you a hint, a hint of how happy we are to be hosted on HostGator. If you want a hosting company that will host your website right for many, many years, allow you to just run your business and get out of your way, and it will scale with you as your business grows, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. When you use that URL, you'll get their absolutely lowest price. Frankly, the prices are low already. They will save you a few pennies every month by using that URL. And when you use that URL, you'll give me credit and they'll know that I referred you. So I urge you to go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Be great for both of us. Get started right now and grow your business in 2021. No, what was the issue with Facebook marketing? 2012, 2013, you were pretty good with it. You know, it's really important to, a lesson from that is don't think you're too good at something uh, and don't rely on something too much. Uh, maybe perhaps when you're, when you're early on, on a wave, um, there's a, we, we caught some early marketing waves with Facebook um, very early on where it was a lot less common for people to be advertising at that time. And, we were putting putting ads out, and we, our theory was: if you have an iPhone, you're a potential customer, and you could behave, you could hit, you know, advertise to people just to have a certain type of iPhone. And we thought we were marketing geniuses. You know, we were. It was like uh, shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, we had, you know, it was working, and we believed in our product wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Believed in what we were doing, so it wasn't like we felt like we were just importing some junk and selling it. No, we were made, designing these things from the ground up. We really believed in it strongly. And it was catching the the, the trade winds of, of the Facebook marketing. We were shipping these things all over the world. And we had also, we would we, when we started shipping all the products, we had a huge back order to catch up with. So we'd sit down and watch Netflix movies. And this is when they still had the DVDs. And in, in doing all this, this prepping and the stamping, we figured out, wait, Netflix is able to send these CDs for $8 a month unlimited. So how are they doing that? How are they getting such cheap shipping? So um, we looked into it and saw that you can, if you do this under a quarter of an inch, under an ounce, you could send a product anywhere in the United States for like 49 cents, anywhere in the world for like a dollar and nine cents at the time, something like that. So we realized, wait a second, we can ship these anywhere in the world for basically a dollar because our product was really thin. That was the whole concept, charge card. It's really thin. So we started advertising free shipping internationally when you buy two. So we had this incredible uh, value proposition. If you're someone in Norway or Germany or Australia or Thailand who are shipping all over, imagine when's the last time you got something shipped to you from another country like the United States and the shipping is free. So we had this huge wave of energy. And the funny thing was if someone would order two, we'd actually ship them separately because in order to maintain the low cost, we had to be under a quarter of an inch and under an ounce. Yeah. So these, imagine in, when mail goes out in the world, it can get split up. So you get your shipment and maybe only one arrives on the first day and the other one arrives the second day. And it's so counterintuitive because people are thinking you're getting the free shipping because you're bundling two items. Right. Today. We're actually getting it because we're separating them. So we use that kind of, that kind of thinking and energy to you know, advertise it on Facebook. And we got all these orders from all over the world. But as we grew and evolved and had other products and that sort of waned, all of a sudden we were riding high with this huge Facebook driven program. And we hadn't really built enough true foundation underneath us. And so at that time, we really 
did an aggressive scale back and uh, we, we, we had moved up from, you know, we had moved up to San Francisco. We were there for a year and a half and the operating costs were really high. We were able to, to make it until this sort of Facebook fallout. And we moved back to, to Santa Barbara um, where we had started originally and um, actually moved in at my brother's house, took over. And we just had this whole phase where we kind of went the, went into like the bunker and we would look at the photos of ourselves now from that era. We're like, whoa, we look like cavemen. You know, um, we would, we, the, the garage turned into the warehouse, the, you know, the basement was the office and we would receive pallets on this, it was on a hill and it was a slope and the truck would come up and the pallet would almost fall out of the back of the truck because the hill was quite steep. And we had used these years to get off of our high horse thinking we're marketing geniuses and truly build the foundation of an assortment and array of products and an array of, you know, marketing efforts to make this happen and building a committed customer base and not just being this one hit wonder that caught the trade winds, but really having a full force fleet. And mm -hmm. that allowed us to get our own office, which sure enough, we moved into the office, kind of a trademark nomad move, get office, move into office. Um, and from that allowed us to build back a much healthier mix of a business that wasn't reliant on one particular marketing program or product, but a much richer, richer program. Why did it that's, stop working today? Why did that ad stop working for you? I think you just hit saturation and there's more competition and saturation in uh, our whole little, when you're dependent, when you're dependent upon something to work for you, that's no good. You need to have systems and capabilities and team and ability to reinvent to, to now sure. Maybe there's some things that, that hold true, like building great products has always been one of the tenets of the business, but having one ad campaign work really well, is not a marketing program. It might Why be a marketing campaign, but it's not a, a, a repeatable long-term program. Why'd you come here to San Francisco? What's the upside for you being here? You know, being at, we started at my grandma's house. We moved into Brian's uh, parents' family's house and they were sort of, you know, hitting retirement age. So we were sort of pushing them into retirement when we took over their home and did all our crazy shipping parties and everything there. And it was in suburban LA and we were like, we need to go to the big city. You know, we're going to take charge card and take it internationally. And we need to take charge card to the, you know, the, the ground zero of this. And so we went up to San Francisco and there's a tremendous energy behind all of that. But we realized, you know, our, 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 our team members, they would go, Oh, well, you know, my friend works at Google and they get free massages. And we'd be like, Oh, well, we have sun chips. And it's like, Ew, I don't like sun chips, you know? And then when we moved back down to Santa Barbara, I remember when we, when we got our, uh, we ended up getting this really funky office and the, the, the office leaked. It didn't have a bathroom. It, it had, it was an old, uh, wood mill. So there's all these wood chips everywhere, but we absolutely loved it. And I remember one time our shipping manager, Harrison walking by and saying to me, Hey man, sun chips are really good. Thanks. Really appreciate these. And I was thinking, oh my God, that was the shift of what we had. We had yeah. a group of recent college grads who are excited to be part of something, who are okay with some sawdust and 
not, you know, and having to walk across the street to use the public bathroom, but who were there and they loved what we were doing. And we were like a, this, this tight knit group. And we weren't distracted by the Googles and the apples and your yeah. friend that works at YouTube that gets a gourmet meal or whatever. And we didn't have much, but what we had was ours. And it was something that we earned and appreciated. And it was such a wonderful feeling. We realized San Francisco is an incredible place with such an incredible, powerful mindset of innovation. And we got and adopted a lot of that mindset and we still have it. And we work with so many great companies there, but we realized in trying to make consumer products for us, at least that might not be the, the best place for us to be our crazy, messy selves that we need the breathing room that we need to come up with new stuff and run our crazy operation, have pallets of supplies coming in and, and all the things that we do. You wouldn't believe it during this year, we got huge into the mask business and We've shipped over, I think, over 15 million masks early on in March. We were doing this, and we've even donated over a million or two million masks. I saw a bunch of um, articles about it, it was called Nomad Goods doubles down on PPE. It, it, the company's actually called Nomad, right? Yeah. And so, exactly. And so, we, by having this breathing room and this incredible team that's so yeah. dynamic and up for the challenge to take on crazy things in March when COVID hit, we reorganized and we were, we were, we launched, we started launching all these medical products very early on when it was virtually impossible to get them. It was so crazy. We had our factories in China making iPhone cases switched to making masks. We but were let me tell you, this is how soon it was. We San Francisco was one of the first places shut down. We didn't we didn't feel it until April, until March, April twenty second. There's an article here on a local TV station uh, that quotes you as saying, "Busiest month in company history. Nomad Goods doubles down on PPE production, and it talks about how your Santa Barbara company, which is an electronics company, has just switched and ramps ramped up to face masks, which are being shipped across the country. That's super freaking fast. Fifty masks it, for twenty bucks when you couldn't get on on Amazon. It was absolutely insane. We we we, we, we leveraged everything that we had, our, our deep relation with China, our, our shipping that we always joke that we know way too much about shipping because mm -hmm. we always do so much shipping. It's such an important part of this. We had pallets coming in, tons of pallets coming in. We were shipping them out. We, had, we set up a whole thing to make sure it goes to frontline workers first because there's a huge shortage for frontline workers. And we mm -hmm. were doing this all at cost. It was not to make money. This was done to... This was done to engage our team and our energy and our abilities and resources to meet the moment. Look at this. And this is this is you, I think. Oh man, iPad sometimes I it was you standing and and packaging, right? Is that you? That's I think that's Brian there. My my my, uh, my I can't tell because your head's down. Or their heads are down. That, that's Augie from our from our shipping. And you guys also added oh. hand sanitizer. How's the year been for you? Sales up or down in 2020? We're so when you when you remove the PPE stuff that we did, we are going to show a little bit of growth this year. And in a year with so many challenges for, for all kinds of businesses, just being steady like that means a lot. We're surviving. Now surviving doesn't mean that we're um you know, that, that, that it's, that it's going to be our most profitable year ever or our biggest growth year, but it means that we are going to live to fight another day. And, and, and that's because you create 
products for nomads, for people who travel. If you're sitting at home, you don't need the extra cable that looks beautiful because you're you, so, the one that comes with your device works. That, that's a good point. People are spending a lot more time at home. And on the flip side of that, we have um, most nomads are really semi-nomads, if you think about it. Um, even even in the real world, many of the, the, the nomadic tribes and groups out there are really more semi-nomadic. So for the we've we've done a lot of the semi-nomad stuff this year. We have our our um, we've had a lot of desk setups, our mouse pads, and a lot of the, like the cable setup for your ideal home setup. So we've been able to adapt and shift to those changing demands from different product portfolios. But yeah, you will see maybe less of the travel-oriented stuff and more of the home home desk setup. But it has certainly been a strange year for us, and it's it's just as we were getting a, a getting a handle on on this business as it was maturing a bit, it went back to the crazy chaos of our early days. But what was really fun about that was it allowed everyone at the team, maybe if someone had joined more recently, it allowed them to take part in wholeheartedly the type of crazy startup energy that we that is how we launched this thing. So everyone, even if they were newer to the company, got to have that experience of the bootstrappy startup, be doing things we don't fully understand, moving fast, getting our hands dirty, elbow grease, all that stuff, which, which is really, really an awesome, valuable thing. Because if you join a company seven or eight years in, it's it sort of maybe has matured a bit, and then they get to see, okay, yeah. I understand where this crazy group of people came from, how they do this. Now that that doesn't mean we don't want to get back to that sort of planing a bit with a little more buttoned up, but it's good to know that we've still got that DNA in us and within everyone who is here, who is part of this, because our HR manager became medical goods shipper. You know, um, it was, it was crazy. The switch up that we did literally overnight, it was one of the most impressive things operationally that we've, that we've accomplished. And it was, it, it, it was totally nuts. I mean, when we started doing hand sanitizer, we had, we, we, uh, I, I put, um, I put Brian in touch with, this this dental equipment manufacturer not far from our you know in a nearby city we had hand sanitizer arriving at our office the next day and shipping out that very same day it was the fastest product launch that we've ever done in company history was hand sanitizer which makes no sense considering that we are a consumer goods like portable power but travel that's the year that company. that's the year that we were in in that yeah. That's that's COVID, and it's it's just a it's a wild story, and, and it kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and that's that's absolutely um, part of part of what 2020 is all about, just get, getting through it and moving forward. In a let me close out with this revenue. Where is it 2020? Give us a sense of size. So last year we did, I think, just a little under 20 million revenue, and this year. On the, the core business, we'll do a little over 20 million. Um, but wow. when you add in some of the PPE stuff, I think we're going to be in the, the mid 20s. And on the one hand, we look at it, and I'm speaking really candidly here, but we look at it as, hey, let's let's remove that from the business and see what's the core. But at the same time, we did that. We did all those things. We did ship that. We did take that on. We expanded, and that's that. Even though it's different from what our core is, it's very much so a genuine undertaking and effort that we did. So. You know, all in all, I guess we will have a surprisingly like, you know, a 25 percent growth or something uh, in this crazy time. But for, but for us, we're not we're not counting the beans too much this year in that regard. The most important thing is just for us to really 
be, be, be around, be alive, be healthy, being able to pay our bills and be financially sound. So we'll, you know, we'll, we're, we're not chasing some big growth number, you know, we're internally controlled. We're not trying to meet some crazy in, investor uh, numbers or something. Our most important thing is to honestly be a, be, be, a, be a happy and healthy team and, and to be a business that ha- a sustainable business and a business that hopefully can, can through surviving through this can, can also have more positive impact in the world as too. throughout all of this, we've really been pushing to make sure that, you know, we have a focus on not just income, but on, on impact. And we've, we've 2020 has been a year where unexpectedly we uh, accelerated some of our uh, impact efforts. And that's been a really unexpected and rewarding part of this well, year. Your work looks beautiful. I think I've, I've seen, is your dad, David, David D, uh, Denzel? Uh, Bill Williams. Bill. Okay. I've just been watching different family members craft things online. And I feel like what you've created here is something that you can be just as proud of. When I see the leather case that you have for the AirPods Pro, I guess that's what those are called. It just looks gorgeous. Your design is beautiful. It makes sense. And it's the type of thing that people could be proud to hold on to. I hope that we publish this up in time for people to go and, and consider this as a gift for uh, Christmas. Though I'm at, I know that's not why you're here, but I do want to tell people, go check out Nomad. Here's their website. It's nomadgoods.com, nomadgoods.com. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you're paying people, no matter where they are, if you're paying people, no matter whether they're full-time employees or 1099s, go to gusto.com slash Mixergy. Start thinking about 2021. Make it a great year for your team. Make it a great and easier year for you when you're taking care of your team. That's gusto.com slash Mixergy. And when you're getting your business up, you need a website, you need a web presence. I urge you to go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. It took me too long to switch to them. I wish I'd switched earlier. We would have saved so much more money and still been up and solid. And that's hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Noah, thanks so much for being here. Andrew, thanks for having me on.